do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 427. No, check that. 428. Nice. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is the, the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to talk about moral outrage, maybe a story about our kids, who knows? And then you're going to talk about something, thinking. Yes. The thinking mind. Well, it's a little more interesting than that. It's how we all think differently. Yes, we do. Um, Okay, good. I was going to say, will you turn down my microphone a little bit, but I might be used to it. One of my ears is clogged. Just uh, stick uh, stick something in there. <laughs> Get some Q-tips in there, right? That'll, that'll help. Um, but first, you have a few events you want to push. Oh, yeah. Push. So next week, you guys. Uh, so next week, we ha- there are three things, three Zen parenting things. Number one, Tuesday, April 24th, I'm speaking at um, Robert Crown. Mm. You know that place? Some uh, Chicago people probably do, but the other people yes. don't. Yes. Robert Crown, one thing that they're known for, they do a lot uh, as far as health services and wellness around the you know Chicagoland, but they do the sex ed teaching in uh. our kids' schools here at Elmhurst. But I'm going to be going there to speak about self-care and self-compassion. It's open to the public. Um, also on April 26th, which is that Wednesday. Is it Wednesday, Todd, or is it Thursday? I think it's Thursday. Okay. April 26th is 50-50 day. Oh, yeah. That's right. And um, that is a day to focus on equality, uh, parity, and to just discuss. The whole The whole thing is about talking about equality, right? Join thousands of events around the globe. And we're having our own little event, yes. which we're going to talk about in a second, on Thursday, April 26th, to discuss what it will take to get more gender-based no, I'm sorry, gender-balanced world for the second annual 50-50 day. And the thing I love about 50-50 day, first of all, this is only the second annual, but they have broken it down into all the different areas of equality. So it's like you kind of focus on the one that you're most interested I in. I got them right here. Okay. The five different, say, foundational ideas is economy. Uh-huh. Second is politics. Uh-huh. Third is identity. Fourth is culture. And the last one is home. And within each one of these, it has five different sections. So I'll just come up with something. Well, focus on home because I kind of thought that's where we tend to focus most of our energy. The five pillars under home is relationships, parenting and caregiving, gender norms, unpaid domestic work, Mm -hmm. and volunteer work. Those are the five things. So um, we do these um, Zen Talks as part of a subscription that we have called Team Zen. But we're opening it up not just to Team Zen people on Thursday, April 26th. We're opening it up to everybody. So you don't have to be part of the team to be a part of this. So it's going to be a virtual chat? Yes. So it actually, if you go to our website, zenparentingradio.com, and you click on live events, you can actually, you can see, because live events will come up on the calendar on April 26th, you click on it and you register. It's free, so it's not like you're registering to pay, but then we have your email, so we'll send you the link. And then that day, I think it's at 12 o'clock, you just click on the link and you join in. You can ask questions. You can just listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and through it, there's it's twofold. Number one, to talk about 50-50 day and to celebrate that. And number two, for those of you who have been like, well, I might want to join Team Zen, but I'm not sure, this gives you an opportunity to see what we do. On Team Zen. Exactly. And the woman who started this 50-50 day has a 20-minute video 
Uh, we watched it as a family last week. And is it fair to say that everybody liked it? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, she she kept it um, light. light and she kept it like, you know, it's visually enticing, you know, like she it's some of it's funny and yeah. silly. And um, but the point of it is pretty deep. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a big message. I thought it was wonderful. So uh, is that all three things? Uh, nope. That's just two. And then the third thing is on the 28th, which is April April 28th, it's a Saturday. I'm actually going to be in Colorado doing a um, keynote at the Mountain Mama Summit in Salida. So for those of you who don't know where Salida is, it's a couple hours away from Denver. And those of you who are in Colorado, you're thinking, of course, we know where Salida is. And if you're close to Salida, please come. To the Mountain Mama Summit. <laughs> Colorado. That's right. And I don't travel for work very much. This is kind of a, a <laughs> big sweetie. Deal. Why don't you travel all the time? I just don't. And we get a lot of requests to travel places for work, and I just say no probably 90% of the time. But there's something about the timing of this and um, where it was and the people who asked, and it just was like, I'm doing this. So um, anyway. I'm, I'm choosing it. So for all three of those things, the Robert Crown on the 24th, the 50-50 on the 26th, and the Mountain Mama Summit on the 28th, they're all at zenparentingradio.com. Click on live events. Um, and lastly, our partner, Dr. Kelly, is having a Women, Wine, and Wellness this mm -hmm. Thursday, April 19th. So um, if you're a woman and you like wine and wellness, check it out. Say that'd be Go most of us. Go to chirotree.com. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm going to play a one-minute clip. I'm, uh, I subscribe to this uh, newsletter called Uplift. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in the day of, you know, there's a lot of protests, a lot of uh, marches and things like that. And I thought this was just a really good one minute clip. And this woman, it's this woman who talks for a minute. And um, her name is Joan Halifax. Have you ever heard of her? Uh, I ha that the last name sounds familiar, but maybe not because of her. Maybe she, I know someone. She looks like a, I think she's a monk. Um, oh. So, anyways, this is her talking. And I think that we'll all get something out of it. Okay. Here we go. We see a lot of moral outrage uh, in the world today. And moral outrage is a very powerful process, and um, it has uh, aspects which are helpful in the sense that um, there's an arousal of energy around issues related to justice or fairness or beneficence when we see the harm of others. We have the impulse to hold others accountable for causing suffering to others, but it's also addictive. And it also is involved with shaming and blaming. So moral outrage has produced uh, a lot of good. Um, as long as it's only episodic, it's in relation to a particular event. It's not our kind of default mode. And as long as we're able to take the energy of anger and disgust um, around issues related to justice and to uh, engage in actions that enhance the possibility of resolution, not polarization. Hmm. Don't you think that that's wonderful? I do. I do. I think that. I think I th for me, it's like whatever side you're on of whatever issue you're on, both sides always think they have the moral high ground. Yes. And I think what she's saying is take this anger and frustration and don't do it to demonize or ostracize or say, I'm better than the other. It's about, I don't know, 
It's just well, and that's what I was going to say is that I there's nothing that she said that I disagree with. So there's nothing like, well, wait a second, you know, there's I think it's I think it's very important. I think that doing that though, using our more taking our moral outrage, recognizing its moral outrage, and then processing it in such a way where we can actually create healthy change takes a lot of self-awareness and it takes a lot of self-understanding and desire for the greater good and not necessarily just to win. And in no way am I saying, oh, we can't do this. We can. The big but is, is this, it's many layers of, um, of understanding before you get there. I think that I think that sometimes kids do this better than adults. I think sometimes kids do this better because they, young kids are so in the moment that they do have moral outrage about things, you know, maybe I'm using moral to, mm-hmm. you know, but they, well, it is moral outrage because something is unfair or you took that from me and they get frustrated about it and they say something and they speak up, but then they let it go. Right. When they see their friend 20 minutes later or even five minutes later, they're done, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like a a duck quacking something off, you know, like where they, um, you know what I mean yeah, by yeah, that? Yeah. Like, that's you the, know, that's the duck story. Yeah. Like where, and, an, you know, duck gets pissed off because another duck gets in their space and they just like, you know, flap their wings and get rid of the energy and say what they need to say. And then they move on. Um, the, the, why that isn't as easy for adults or, or humans is that, sometimes just speaking up doesn't change anything, mm-hmm. you know? And so it requires even more energy, more activism, more activism. Um, it's, it's continuous. It's a, as, you know, as we all say all the time, this is a marathon, mm-hmm. you know, we have to continue speaking up. So I like what she said. It, and really every teacher says this, right? Gandhi, MLK. Sure. It's just another, you know, what we, what I try to do is come up with different ways to explain basically the same, same three or four principles mm-hmm. that you and I talk about on the show. Mm-hmm. And this is just another example of that. Yeah. And because we really can do that where we we have the, and I like the way she talks about it, it's a natural instinct, this moral outrage where we see people or a person being treated inappropriately. And there is this feeling of, geez, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Um, but then what we can really easily do is if we don't have a a grasp on that moral outrage is it goes, as your point, too far the other way and we have a cycle Mm -hmm. where then we say something inappropriate and unkind to those people or we say all of you are this way. And then all of a sudden that's not correct either. That's because there is no group of people that is all one way. And then we just – this constant snowballing of – you know, going back and forth. And so it takes some, oh, it's so funny because it's the paradox. I was about to say it takes some restraint, but it also, moral outrage also takes the willingness to speak up. So it's speaking up with restraint. Yet another paradox. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a few more stories, but I feel like I want to turn it over to you. What's your story? Why don't you well, tell one of them? My one, one of my kids uh, has been struggling with something at school. Okay. And um, as the dad, I obviously my my quick one is like, how do I fix this problem? How mm-hmm. do I help my daughter deal with all this? And you know, a lot of times when something goes wrong, whether it's at school or anything else, they shut down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And once again, this is another paradox because sometimes we have to just let our kids be frustrated, be mad, be closed off. Um, and this is kind of the dance of being a parent. 
And I feel like I did a decent job doing the dance of kind of letting her have her feelings without, and sitting in my own discomfort, seeing my daughter sad mm-hmm. at, you know, whatever this her challenge, this, yeah. or whatever this challenge is. Well, at the same time, if you can withdraw so much where you're not really helping, and that's sometimes an easy place for me to go like, oh, well, you're on your own kid. I'll, I'll be here when you're ready. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to kind of like poke our kids a little bit and nudge them a little bit and, and encourage them to speak up. And sometimes it takes different techniques. Like sometimes it's a very sincere technique. And, and yeah, I know you don't like the word technique, but you know, how to engage mm-hmm. in this kid. conversation, conversation. And sometimes it's with like love and depth, like tell me exactly what's going on. And other times like you could tickle them and try to like bust them out of this bad mood mm-hmm. with, um, those things. So, um, rewind. So I think this was like a week ago, Saturday, and she w- she had a tough week of school or she had a tough few days. And I struggled with engaging with her. And then I started messing with her and she started opening up a little bit. And then I started tickling her. And I said, what do you want to do? And she's like, I want to go to the park. And we went to the park and we had a blast. And this is my 10-year-old. And she, um, it's funny, like, I, it's, I don't think when she, she's going to be 16 wanting to go to the park and play with her dad. So <laughs> in a way, not. I'm just kind of like appreciating the moment that I still have at least one kid that I can sort of kind of fix the problem a little bit. By or you take, can still play. Yeah, or still play with them. So I guess I'm just um, an appreciation of the fact that, um, but I know like, you know, I don't like it when parents say, you know, small kids, small problems, big kids, big problems, because, you know, when your kids are little and they're struggling with something, whether it's when they're four or when they're 14, it all kind of seems big. Um, but I guess I'm just trying to, you know, as you and I kind of creep into this next phase of parenting, you know, we're going to have a 16 year old. She in, just in turned year. 15. Yeah. And so we're going to have a, you know, right now we have a 15, a 13 and a 10 and we're, you know, halfway into the teenage years with one of them and the other one, the last one's coming up through the ranks. And I don't know, I'm just trying to, um, I, I think what, what I wanted to bring up mostly about that story is just to get creative in how to engage. And sometimes you can push too much and then you have to pull back. It's the dance and there's no right answer. And I'm kind of, and then sometimes, and that's the other thing. We went to the park, she had a great day and I was like, oh, aren't I a great dad? Like to myself and everything and all the problems have since been fixed. And then the next day she kind of regressed back to having, you know, these problems were not resolved. So there's sometimes there's no clean resolution. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, and again, I know what you're saying, but I'll say, of course they're not like, you know, that's like someone saying an adult version of I'm going to go have a drink and then everything's going to go away. Right. Like we, and again, you know, it is different going to the park because you're moving your body and it's energy and it's good for you. But I, it's, I think sometimes we do like to quick fix things and they're just not quick fixes. And the, the difficulty, I think when parents say, you know, young kids, small problems, older kids, big problems, or whatever that quote is, it's just because they have less influence when they're older or that wrong word, they have less ability to really like you know, when you're little and your socks don't fit right, then you go find another pair of socks and, you know, things seem a little more like I can solve this problem. Mm-hmm. When they're older, they're more like us and there's more layers to it and there's more things to understand. It's not a quick fix. It's not, oh, you're mad at this person, stop being friends with them. Or it's not like, oh, this class is hard, drop it. You 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 have to mull through it. I think what's different though is when our kids are like five or six, let's say, 
they still want us to support and love and help them. And when they're 16, they're starting to separate, which they should. And I think that's going to be one of my biggest challenges. And I, I disagree with really? you. I really do. I don't think, uh, yes, I no, I agree with you that of course they should be separating. I hope so, because that's the whole point of us raising kids is so they can do things on their own or have another or have their peer group or we're allowing them to be free. Mm. But at the same time, the idea that they don't need us. Yeah. And I didn't mean to, you didn't say that statement. What did you say? You said they don't need as much help from us or something. It's like, I don't know. The best way for me to explain it is, you know, your kid skins their knee when they're four years old, you hug them and you kiss the owie and everything else. But when they're 16, it's hard to hug them and kiss their owie. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. I think the the thing that I was focusing on was you said they, you know, they we can't do it the same way, but they, they absolutely need us. Need us. Absolutely. And, and how that looks is different. Sometimes it's to ask questions and to really dig in. And sometimes it's just to... Like I notice when my older girls are struggling with something because they like want to sit on a chair with me or they want to just put their head on my shoulder and relax there and they want to or they want, you know, if I'm reading a book, they want to lay down and read a book by me. I can tell they need something, but it's not something I can give like a new pair of socks. Mm -hmm. It's just being there. We were just having this discussion today about how important it is just to be available, not to check things off the list but to be a present person in their lives. And and for us who work and that kind of thing, I'm not saying it has to be 24-7 around the clock, but there has to be times that they can count on that they know you're just chilling and they can chill with you because just the presence of you as a caregiver is soothing to them. I agree. And one, one thing I will add to that mm-hmm. is... I think some of my biggest challenges as a parent is to settle in my own discomfort when my kid is sad or struggling Mm -hmm. or challenging. You know, Team Zen, we talk to these people twice a month. And like, if I were going to give any like universal advice, it's like sometimes you just got to settle in and Mm -hmm. allow for this kid to struggle with a friend at school or allow for this kid to struggle with getting a bad grade on a test instead of like leaping in and trying to be the savior. Like, I don't know. I feel like that's one of the biggest challenges and something that I think that I personally need to work on and probably a lot of other parents. Well, and you can really go to your underlying belief system. What is your underlying belief system about your child and about what life is? Because if you understand that your child does have a in, in innate resilience and that if they understand they are innately good um, and that life isn't supposed to go a certain linear fashion in a certain linear fashion, then you know that they're going to work through it. And also the understanding that things aren't supposed to go right for your child all the time. Like there was something going on with one of my daughters a a long time ago, and I emailed the teacher about it, not because I wanted the teacher to do anything, but just so she was aware, so she could recognize. I even said, like, you know, even if maybe if this this situation comes up in literature, you can tap into it, like, oh, this person struggled with this, and and I said, but I said to the teacher, please know that I'm not trying to have you do fix anything, this. Right. I just want you to be aware, and I trust that my daughter can get through this without us putting our hands all over it, but we do need to have kind of holding the space for it. So she feels supported, not solve it, but be around it. And I think that's kind of the challenge is that I really believe 
unfortunately, and especially, you know, like I said, my our oldest daughter's 15, so I've seen a lot of things as a parent. They have to go through it, and it sucks to watch it or to hold their hand or when they're crying, be with them. But that's the way, you know, what do we want for our kids? We want them to be kind. We want them to be compassionate. We want them to be resilient. All of those things come out of challenges because you know kindness when you know unkindness and you know resilience after you've fallen down and you've gotten back up and you know compassion when you've experienced pain you know how to then relate to other people in pain so you can't skip over these things at the same time while they're going through it i like to be present even if it's you know like through text (laughs) you know like i don't pull back so far that i'm like all yours but i pull back far enough where i'm like you know, as I say a lot, I, I've already done middle school. I've already done high school. I can't do it again, but I'll be here for you. Right. Because I don't really want, and anytime we just, and I don't want to dig too deep into this, Todd, but we just had our daughter ask us about something that she wants to do. And I could already feel my own like anxiety about it because I knew that I had an emotional response to this question. Just so they know, it's an extracurricular activity. Yes, and I was having my own historical experience with it. And again, I know I'm being very general, but I want to, it's her thing, and I want to protect her from me telling. You know, it's a, I, I was like, wow, I'm having a reaction to this because of my history. And that has to be very, that has to be a huge part of the equation where there were some bits and pieces of it. It's all going to work out fine. But I had to have Todd take over because I'm like, I'm way too emotionally connected to this. And and now it's kind of smoothed out again. It's just there's pieces that we need help sometimes. And we need help to help them. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's like another layer of help. If we're going to support well, them. Yeah. And, and, and you were smart enough to recognize that you're like, wow, I'm kind of emotionally entangled a little bit mm-hmm. in this specific situation. And I said, let me kind of call the whomever, yeah. call the people. So you kind of tagged out like that in a wrestling term, you know, back in the old like WWF, like it's tag team matches. Uh-huh. Like, hey, man, I, I'm tagging out because yeah. I'm no good in this situation. Right. I'm no good. And uh, I helped. So um, anyways. Yes. Yeah. But that's really good. I think that we, um, your situation that you, you brought up, just helping our kids is not, it, it looks different whatever age they are. And it is a constant pro- process of growth for us. That sometimes when you know we get questions on Team Zen or through email or people that Todd and I are supporting, there's a lot of, well, what do I do in this situation and why is this still so hard or shouldn't I have figured this out by now? No, because every situation is different. Yep. So being un- being comfortable with being uncomfortable, but then trusting that you and your children will get through it. There you go. Um, so our partner this week is Health IQ. They're an insurance company. They sell life insurance uh, for health conscious people like runners, cyclists, yogis. So um, I'm going to give you a quiz. Are you ready for your I'm quiz, ready. sweetie? I'm ready. And this comes from my emails that I get from Health IQ. Sometimes these quizzes are hard. Um, I I handpicked some of these, so okay. hopefully it's relatable. Some people struggle to f- uh, some people struggle to fit recommended workout times into a busy s- schedule. What strategy helps? A doing all the exercise at once. B buying a gym membership. C short high intensity bursts. Or D, low-intensity, easy exercise? C. You are correct, sweetie. Short bursts of vigorous, hard-to-sustain exercises for five minutes or less throughout the day, like a sudden set of 10 push-ups, can add up to daily goals. Mm -hmm. You ready for the other one? Mm -hmm. Which pattern of daily exercises would do the most for reducing risk of heart disease? A, 
aerobic classes once a week. Mm-hmm. B, 20 minutes swims at the end of the day. C, running five minutes only. Or D, one hour total in short bursts. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I would probably, because of the first question, say D. Or two for two. Yeah. Doing one hour instead of 20 to 30-minute exercises per day, even if achieved in small five-minute chunks, cuts the risk of heart disease by up to 57%. So that's easy stuff. Like, you know, a lot of times, like, I teach um, at two different universities, and I teach on higher floors, and I always take the stairs, except when I had the flu and I had to take the uh, elevator. But I always (laughs) take the stairs, and and I've been doing it for so many years that I don't think about it much anymore. But when I get up to the third floor, man, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of stairs. Yeah. But it's good overall. I take the stairs whenever I'm at O'Hare. Yeah. Um, it adds up. Yeah, it does. Um, so here's the deal. Um, so thanks to Health IQ for partnering with us. And I have personally saved $600 a year on my life insurance premium by going through Health IQ. So here's what you need to do if you're interested. Go to healthiq.com slash zen or mention the promo code zen uh, when you talk to your Health IQ agent. So that's the deal. Okay, so can I talk about my thing? Yep. So I get these kind of strange visualizations sometimes about how to explain a concept a difficult concept, and I hope this translates because it sure makes sense in my brain. Um, but I was, it kind of incorporates, you know, I feel like we've been watching and experiencing a lot of things because of Me Too um, about equality. And then, of course, we've got 50 50 Day coming up. And last night, Todd and I watched a uh, 60 Minutes about Salesforce and how that organization is trying to have complete parity. They're, they are, um, working really hard to make sure that men and women doing the same job are getting paid the same. And they keep doing these. It was interesting. What's his name? Mark Betnoff. Betnoff. He's the CEO of Salesforce. And they keep doing these like data um, surveys and then figuring out they're still not their audits. They they audit their own salary structures. Yes. And they, um, the woman, the HR manager, uh-huh. Mark uh, is the owner of Salesforce, and they're like a $5 billion yeah, company. Yeah, they're huge. Everybody uses And she's like, stuff. you know, you should look at this because uh, there's some disparity here. And he's like, no way, no way. He's like... Because he's been working so hard yeah. to create an he's equal like, no. system. So she's like, I- I'm telling you, I'm pretty sure there is, and we need to do an audit. But she's like, the only way we're going to do this is if you agree to raise up the salaries for equality. If we find in the data that it's unequal. But she's like, I need you to agree to this before we even do the audit. He's like, no problem. I'm in. So he did it. And then what did they find out? They found out it wasn't equal. And not only that, but and and so then they had to, you know, spend a significant amount of money to to get that equality. For one year, it was $3 million. And then they... Obviously, over time, over the last however many years, they've acquired other organizations, other businesses, and so they've had to re-audit and then figure out, wow, these organizations we bought, they weren't not paying you know, equal. Mm-hmm. And he was just talking about how it's a culture and it's ingrained in us and that a lot of times he wasn't intentionally doing it, but right. it was somehow occurring um, and he's making right. So it's really not about – what I'm talking about, it has really nothing to do with money. I'm just I, – what I found interesting is – how we're starting to recognize equality and what that means. And it can it can break down to something as simple as the way we think. Mm-hmm. And this is why. There was a show that Todd and I did, I think the first year of uh, Zen Parenting. Um, it was about how men's brains are like waffles and how women's brains are like spaghetti. And the, I think we actually called it men are waffles, women are spaghetti or something like that. And while I think the that show was you know, it, what was, it was seven years ago. So I don't really remember what we said, but it's interesting because even thinking about that, I think as a society, 
we look at one as being the right way mm -hmm. and the other as being messy. Now, what what do you think the people think the right way is? Sweetie, to think? the right way is my way. <laughs> right. People will look at a waffle and they'll look at the straight lines in the boxes and they'll say, that's clean and that's the way that we should think. And then you'll look at a bowl of spaghetti and you'll think that's just a mess and that's crazy. And I think a lot of times, like I was, I was trying to explain something to Todd this morning, and as I was explaining it to him, I realized that when I am sharing something that's really deep or um, something I'm feeling, that it takes a lot of different turns mm -hmm. and that it isn't a clear path from A to B. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, Todd will be like, what's wrong? And I'll be like, well, here's what I'm struggling with. And I'll bring up 80 different things. Right. And so for Todd, he's kind of like, okay, you know, cut to the chase. I'm like, what box does this bit of information <laughs> fit into? What box does that bit of information fit into. By the way, that's zenparentingradio.com slash 77. Wow, that was a long time so ago. So we did that in June of 2012. Yes. Yeah, so it's probably completely outdated, but it. Or I, not. I remember doing it and I, and I think since then we've shared, you know, the spaghetti waffle model a few times. But what I want to discuss is that I think what women, what's been ingrained in them is that their way is messy and that they should be doing it better. Mm -hmm. And because we live in a patriarchal society, and hear me out, understand that when we say this is, we live in a patriarchy, it's not saying, it's. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to recognize the truth, which is that businesses and most structures and organizations are built around the way men think. Mm -hmm. Can we agree on that? Well, you could also just statistically look at the boards of the big organization Correct. and it's mostly men. And just our society as a whole, like the other night, <laughs> Todd and the girls and I watched Lincoln. And for those of you who've seen Lincoln, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, it's from many years ago, but Cameron, who our daughter who has always loved Lincoln, she's just a little Lincoln. We might as well get her a top hat because yeah, she's like Lincoln. It's not a bad idea. She loves fairness and she's like all, she's just very determined. And she talks to the TV. She talks, she, and there are certain books she'll start reading and she'll be like, this character, just their moral system didn't sit with me. I can't read it. Like she's, she's little Abe. So she's always loved Lincoln. And when she was little, when it came out, it was, there was too much civil war activity. She couldn't watch it. But we finally all watched it as a family the other night. She loved it. We all loved it. JC watched it too. It was great. But there's this scene where they're all debating the 13th Amendment, right? For mm -hmm. those of you who've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. And the big challenge that they had was, okay, if we give complete uh, you know, freedom, what will that mean for the vote? Mm -hmm. what, and they actually said at one point, so are you saying that um, I think in the movie they, they, you know, they were talking about slaves. You know, are we saying sure. that we're going to give them the vote? Sure. And then they said, what will come next? Women getting the vote? Right. And then all of a sudden, every, all the men stood up and said, no, mm -hmm. no. And the girls and I were just laughing so hard and not laughing at it, but laughing at how crazy that is. Not like, only that, um, and we may have spoken about this, uh -huh. but um, men of color, African-Americans got the right to vote in X, whatever year that was. Way before women. Decades yeah. later. Right. That women could. Well, and this is my point. So when women talk about we live in a patriarchy and then we get pushback about even that comment, we do. Mm -hmm. the, every, the structures, our government, our, the businesses have been created around the way men think. And what women have been doing or attempting to do or doing everything in their power to do is fit in to that system. And I just read a book last Thursday night um, called Dear Madam President, um, and it was from, I think her name's Jennifer 
pulmonary. I can't, maybe, I can't remember the author's name, but she worked for Hillary Clinton's campaign. She also used to work for Barack Obama. Basically, she's been involved um, in politics her whole life. And what the, the book is about is she wrote the book to the next, to the first female president, thus the title, Dear Madam President. And she was writing- Helene a- Cooper? No. Mm-mm. No. Um, it's Jennifer, Dear Madam President, it's called. Um, uh, Jennifer Palmieri. Palmieri. So I, yeah, I had it somewhat right. I think I put an extra N in there. But basically, she writes the book focusing on what she's learned in politics and how our political system has been created by men and is obviously dominated by men. And how, with Hillary Clinton's campaign, how they tried to create a situation for her where they, they made her like a man. Mm-hmm. To, to make everybody comfortable, but in doing that, she lost a lot of who she was. What do you mean they made her like a man? They ran her like they would run a male um, um, candidate. candidate. I was going to say contestant. This is not a, a male candidate. So they tried to not bring up the fact, even though it's obvious. Pretend that she's not a woman. They just ran her like you would run a man. Yeah. And, why, and many people will say, well, yeah, what's the difference? There's a very large difference because- we often don't have – being a woman is a part of who we are, mm-hmm. and and we're not all the same. Mm-hmm. It's not about saying all women think this way. I'm not trying to throw everyone in a box here. What I'm trying to say is our gender or how we identify gender-wise, because, again, we know that's fluid too, right. and you know, but we – that's a big part of who we are. The feminine. And to try and fit – all women, or to say women need to fit into this system of they how men made do things. Hillary masculine, or they said you're going to focus. Yes, I'll just say that you, the, we're not going to go here. And her this book that she wrote was about, you know, dear Madam President, I'm so glad that you honored the feminine in you mm-hmm. and that you, you know, she's assuming that whoever this person yeah. may be, if it be in three years or ten years or twelve years or twenty years, that this person has brought their full self. Yeah. But as a society, because I keep doing these segues, thus my the way I think, we think that that, sometimes we perceive that kind of thinking, I'll go back to spaghetti thinking, as being somehow not as clear or concise or important, when really what spaghetti thinking is to me. Considering everything. You got it. Yeah. I think about everything. So when I am trying to tell Todd something or when I am looking at something that is challenging, I see it from every different angle. And this is the visual I got in my meditation. When there is an issue and a lot of people are like, how do you get from A to B? And visualize it like a train. Mm -hmm. You get on at A and you want to get off at B because that's your problem. When I am riding that train, I stop at every stop and look around. And sometimes I even get off the train and walk down the hill to see what's going on down there. And then I get back up on the train and go to the next stop and stop and look and look. Sometimes I just look out the window. Sometimes I get out and actually do something there. What I think a lot of people, though, think is efficient or the way that maybe you think about something, Todd. We would make decisions in a vacuum without regard to the... Now, and you may be able to solve the problem with the solution, but it also impacts the other and the other and the other. And in my masculine mind, sometimes I miss the big picture for this one narrowly focused problem. And I think that, again, yes, you and just the bigger pictures were like, if we need to get from A to B, just get on the train, look at your newspaper and just go, like get there. And that is not, I think we don't have a respect 
and an understanding for how looking out the window, getting off the train, checking into something, making sure we have our bag, that that's essential to survive as a species. But and and there are women, and I will say that there's some men who do this too. This is not gender specific. Maybe there are many men, and you may have uh, many of them in your tribe who think more like in you know they don't think waffly. They think more spaghetti. Sure. So maybe we don't need to say men, women. Maybe I should just say me. And maybe it's more of the feminine. Right. But I I sometimes think that, but at the end of the day, we still got from A to B. We just may have gotten there either a little slower or with a little more detail or with a little more understanding and a little more, you know, a deeper perception. And <laughs> let me finish this. Hold on. Go ahead. And, and a deeper perception. And a lot of people don't have an understanding of why that's important. Mm -hmm. They just say, well, you got from A to B, so let's just get there. Let's solve this problem. And that what I'm, what I was trying to say to you this morning is a lot of me looking out the window and getting off the train, no one is even going to recognize that I did it mm -hmm. because it won't show up. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. Because I was trying to explain to Todd how sometimes a day can be full, not by the activity I did, but about the emotion and the time and the consideration that I took to reach the other end. Right. And that can be exhausting. So when someone looks at like a new mom or a mom who has young kids and they say, oh, today you went to the zoo and then you went to a friend's and then you went to the grocery store and that's your busy day, you have no idea the details that it took to do those things, the emotional um, the emotional stability and ability it took to manage those things. And so, yes, you look at the day and you say, oh, you just did these three things, A to B. It was so much vaster and that train ride was so much more extensive. And we were willing to get off and look out the window and do all these things to take in all the information. But then at the end of the day, it's more, it's, it was a lot of work. For sure. Does that, does that visual sit with you? Can you, does that make sense to you? Um, yeah. I mean, it's not the best visual because I'm trying to make maybe linear sense out of it, but no, it's better. The metaphor I wanted to come up with was remember in the last Jedi and I don't know who the new Han Solo dude is. I mean, he's not Han Solo, but he's like the new kind of rebellious guy. Finn? No, not Finn. The other guy. And Laura Dern is in charge of the ship. Oh, the guy, uh, Poe. Yeah. Poe? I think so. Yeah. I don't remember. Edgar Allan? No. <laughs> no what? But that it's, guy. And yeah. he's, if you've seen The Last Jedi, he's like, um, let's get in. I, Oscar Isaac is the name of the Oscar actor. Isaac. Yes, 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 yes. I don't yes. remember the name of his character. I'm but find it. in The Last Jedi, close your ears if you don't want to hear anything about it. Um, he's like, no, let's go do this. Let's go do this. Like, let's make a beeline for it. Meanwhile, Laura Dern, who's in charge, is kind of taking the long play. Yes. But she doesn't like tell everybody the in, the whole plan. Right. And by appearance, it looks like she's not doing anything. Right. When in fact, she was doing everything. Right. That's actually a really good uh, pop culture example because throughout the movie, you're kind of annoyed at Laura Dern. Correct. Because she's not doing the quick kill, shoot, Let's go do, fight. fight. And she's got this whole plan where, and in the end, she ends up being. Yeah, don't say it. Well, no. but you know, that's the thing is, is without giving away too much, that's what women are willing to do. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean is we, we sacrifice ourselves all the time, but it's often not seen 
and men do too. Or it's not, it's either not seen or it's not valued where it's easy right. to value a man's stuff because, or not man, like the breadwinner because he has a paycheck to show up at the end of the day. And this is kind of why I brought in the, you know, the dear Madam President and, and the equality and whatever, because some of equality is about respecting the long view yeah, and about respecting like in this, in the home, like a lot of times when I talk to women about, you know, what they're doing in the home and how they feel. Um, what do you want me to look up? You look like you want me to look something up. Well, I want <laughs> you to look up what his name is. Cause it's not, I don't think it's Poe. Um, they, what they talk to me about is I'm doing all these things and I don't feel valued and my significant other, maybe who's working outside of the home, they get so much kudos for doing what they're doing and they come home and they say, I'm tired and I'm overwhelmed and don't you understand what I'm doing? And they're in, and as, as a spouse, you can, you can understand, of course they're working hard, but then about what we're doing in the home to make sure that everybody's taken care of and seen. What's his name? Poe Dameron. Oh, it is Poe. I was right. I'm I'm surprised at myself for some reason when I said it. I'm like his name's not Poe. Yeah. But anyway, I think that I think that I said what I needed to say, and we could go round and round about it. But I just I the the bottom line was that I was realizing as I was talking to you that I was telling you like 80 different things, and you really wanted to resolve the problem. And what I needed for you to understand is this isn't necessarily a problem that gets resolved like this. This is, if I do this, do you understand this is affected? And if I don't do this, this happens. And do you know if yesterday, if I hadn't done the 150 things I did, we wouldn't be able to have a normal week. Right. But nobody sees it right. because it just goes unnoticed. And that's, and it's, and, and you're great about being like, I appreciate it and I see it. You... But then the bigger picture is then, is that respected in the bigger culture? Because I think even saying, oh, you have a spaghetti brain and you have a waffly well, I'll brain. I'll give you another example. Um, we did a show about a New York Mets baseball player, and he um, decided to take a few days off at the beginning of the season because his wife was going to give birth. Right. And I remember this man got criticized. I forgot his name. I'm sorry. For taking paternity, one yeah, he got criticized for taking paternity leave. He even got criticized like they should have forced the wife to take a scheduled C-section <laughs> so he wouldn't miss the baseball season. Yeah, and then she didn't. She had the baby around when she, whenever she was supposed to. When the baby needed to. And come. then he took like three days after the baby showed up, and all these guys are like, "There's nothing to do. Why are you? You should be playing ball. Wow, you're there for the day of the birth." And then you go to work because there's nothing to do. Because, you know, women don't need any help on day two after their whole world has just turned upside down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. After they've carried a baby for nine months and yeah. they're nursing well, and done. healing. There's nothing and... to do. I wish I, I should try to pull up that clip. Well, and, and we're also making the assumption that, that there's nothing to do, meaning that the dad doesn't need to bond with mm. their, his child. Like, of course, at three, you know, baby comes home and of course the dad should be mm -hmm. bonding and holding that child to their chest. And these are things, that, but this gets to the core of, again, our belief system is that the, the sports commentators that you're talking about who said that, 
their belief system is the only thing that makes a man valuable is his work and showing up and hitting home runs. And everything else is just a side note in their life. Right. And that is, if you're coming from that belief system, then of course you're going to think he's wasting his time at home. Yep. And a lot of those men, not all, but some of those men or a lot of those men, um, that is how they live their life. Yep. But then these are some of the men that you end up talking to who say, I'm lonely, I don't have friendships, I don't feel connected to my wife, or they're on their third marriage, or they're disconnected from their teens, and they're like, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, and they're not. Right. And when I say they're not, obviously they're doing everything they think they're supposed to do, but what they're missing is the relationship and the connection. Yeah. And so... Because we don't value that connection, and we think it's more important to earn your paycheck on the baseball diamond versus connecting with our kid. And then to your point, 30 years goes by and you're 65 years old and you realize you don't have any friends because all you've been doing has been making money as opposed to connecting with your wife or your friends or your environment or the world or the earth. Then all of a sudden you're lonely. Like the, um, the depression and the suicide rate goes up for men as they get older. Absolutely. And the and many more, you know, as the older, but also younger boys um, who are anywhere from like 30 to, well, they're men, mm -hmm. 30 to 45, the suicide rate is much higher for men yeah. than it is for women. So these are the statistics that we know. And we know that that's the piece of the puzzle is the relationship. And, and again, let me say, this is not a one-way blame. Um, we talked about on the show last week when uh, the Duffies were with us, when John and Julie were with us, that, you know, the value and the importance of listening to men's perspectives and the importance of allowing men to speak up about the things they need too. This is not about a men need to change, women get to stay the same. It's we're all evolving together. The but is we have to be willing and capable and to point things out that just right off the bat are are not equal, right. which is the way we often think about the masculine way of thinking, A to B, is we give that credit, like that's the way to do it. And when a woman, like I'm, I'm visualizing like on a TV show or maybe just in our own lives, it doesn't have to be TV, a man will say, what's wrong? And a woman will talk about all these different things. And then it's like, oh, she's crazy. Oh, that woman's crazy. You know, she just can't settle on a point. She can't figure it out. And actually she can. Mm -hmm. She just needs to talk it through. Right. And she sees how everything is connected, that it's not, these are all not separate issues. If I do this, it affects this. If I say this, it affects here. And there is an understanding of the interconnectedness that that's what holds us together. Right. And I know men can do this too. It's just, I feel like, stereotypically. Well, we're not taught that growing up. No. Mm -mm. So, and just like everything else, like you want to be mindful, meditate or breathe. You can't expect to be mindful or present if you're not doing things throughout your days to be mindful, like meditate and breathe. We want these guys to be connected with each other. It's kind of hard to do that when you're taught the minute that you have a memory that, you know, connecting with others isn't a healthy thing. Right. You got to do it or on yourself. It, it, you got to man up. It all that threatens stuff. you yeah. somehow. And, and so I guess, you know, so what do we do with this information? Let me round this up. I guess what's important is in, if you are in a relationship, a, um, a male, female relationship where the man and a woman, or actually it doesn't matter if you're in a relationship where one person, regardless of, of gender or sex, um, one person 
is maybe more of the deep thinker and like the, you know, more, as we would say, more spaghetti, like all the, all of it kind of mixing into each other. And, and another person is maybe more literal, you know, like the waffles, the, you know, just get me from here to here. The waffle person, it's just important to understand that this person who is saying all these things to you, who who maybe has a 10 different inroads and outroads and how they see things, it's not dysfunctional. Yeah. That is not dysfunctional. That is an ability to see all the overlapping issues and how it's all interconnected. It's not crazy. It's not disorganized. It may sound that way. It may feel uncomfortable because there's not an easy solve. It may feel like it takes longer because it does. But I think to have respect for each other, we we it's important to understand how each of us think. And you're really good at this, Todd. So this isn't a lecture to you. I just want you to know that. Thanks, sweetie. Um, but I do. I'm good at it. I'm certainly not perfect. And I know there's guys out there that don't even know when I, because I, I talk to my clients, I'm coach, mm-hmm. I coach these guys and they're like, yeah, I don't understand my wife. She, you know, she complains and then I try to help her and then she doesn't feel any better. I'm like, dude, you got to connect with this woman. You got to validate, you got to appreciate, you got to look at the world through her eyes instead of looking at it through your eyes as a, as something that you need to fix another challenge. And I still struggle with that. Yeah, and that's why, even though I know it didn't really hit Todd very strongly, that's why I tried to give the analogy of the train. Envision that when your wife is telling you a story or your significant other is telling you a story, that they are on this train ride and they are on every stop. They are looking out the window, getting out, checking things out, not because they're unorganized, not because they're crazy, but because that's how they're wired. And that's what makes... That's what connects them, and that's what helps them to see things and piece things together. It's not one straight shot. And if you can be like, okay, I'm going to ride this train with her, it's actually kind of beautiful because then you get to take the stops and notice something that you didn't notice, and you get to maybe take a trip down to the town mm-hmm. and and have a new experience and then come back on the train. We can always ride the train together, but we ride it different ways. And, there, and, and our society honors one way. Right. And the other way is crazy. Yeah. That's kind of the, you know, again, the stereotype is the other way is just disorganized and crazy. And it's not. There is a, there is a rhyme and reason to it. There is a, because things aren't easily understood. Everything is nuanced. Everything has layers. And, and I think we're always trying to cut to the chase, get to the end, get over your grief, get over your set, you know, move through it, move through it. And, and you're missing the towns. You're missing the beauty. You're miss. You're not looking out the window. Mm-hmm. You're just going from one place to the next to the next, and and looking out the window and getting out takes energy. And yeah. and we, you know, this is. I don't know. I don't know if this is making sense to people, but it's just how I see it, and it's how I see myself. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's my greatest gift, but it doesn't always make sense to the greater norms, the bigger norms in society. What people are used to seeing, right? Or valuing. People want to get from one place to the other without thinking too hard about it. It's called living on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And they want to go from here to there, wake up in the morning, go to bed, wake up in the morning, go to work, go to bed, eat lunch, go to bed. And the way that I do a day is a lot more, it's not intense. Well, one thing you said to me when we talked this morning is like, I'm thinking about everybody. All the time. All the time. <laughs> yes. And um, there are times when I'm thinking about everybody, but usually I'm not thinking about everybody. Right. And um, 
I need to be able to understand that. Right. And it's not so easy for me to see the world through your eyes. So the only thing we can do is continue to have these discussions so we can start understanding each other's kind of wiring. Understanding and respecting, you know, like, and that's for the greater good too, is, you know, instead of thinking there is one way and everybody needs to jump on board that system. Because I would be like, well, stop worrying about everybody. Oh my God. And that is like the most brutal thing. So many of my clients, their significant others say that to them. Well, if that bothers you, stop thinking about it Mm -hmm. as if like, okay, I'm going to rewire my brain and not concern myself. And, And we're not asking you guys or our partners to solve it. We're just saying, do you see it? Mm -hmm. And if you don't see it, do you understand that I see it? And do you understand that I'm concerned about it and that I just need to feel supported in noticing? Well, and the other thing I want to do is, you know, the... in a couple, whether it's same-sex couple or, you know, whatever is more typical, um, it's not about us, me changing to be, see the world the way you see it. And I know you're not asking me to do that. No. And vice versa. Like there, this is kind of the juice. This is kind of the fun part. If you can look at it like that, like, man, my wife is really interesting because yeah. <laughs> that's not the way I think about things. Yes. So you, it just depends on what lens you're looking at that through is like, this isn't all bad things. No. This is like, because if you and I saw the world the same way, we would be bored. Correct. And your point is really good is that what we mostly think though, is when our partner is telling us something, we're like, why don't you do it like I do it? And women can do this to their partners too, where, you know, men will maybe not get deep about something and women will be like, you should have called that person or written a thank you note, or you should have, you know, you should care more. Or sometimes they go to that place that that men haven't been given a lot of permission to access. Um, and so we can be very telling of you should be more like me. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair either. It's if we're willing to share of ourselves and be honest about the way we think and feel, and we have a regard for ourselves and how we think and feel instead of thinking we're doing it wrong, then each person in the relationship can show up and have a respect for each other and maybe learn something from each other, you know, like not change the way they're thinking, but understand each other and maybe heighten their awareness in the areas where they have more deficits. Well, and I've been using, um, I've been busy with a lot of clients in the last few weeks and I've been using the four uh, archetypes. And uh, this, I think, lends itself to that. And what I mean by that, so the four archetypes that I've been taught, um, there's uh, there's a book out there called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. And each one of us, man or woman, has these different energies. And the warrior is the strong one, the brute strength. The magician is the problem solver. The lover is the emotional side. And the king is the kind of the one that oversees all three of them, uh, all three of the kingdoms, let's say. And, um, you know, sometimes when I'm listening to you talk, I'm deep in my warrior energy, which is, no, we got to fix this. Oh, you want more time to do this? Let's do that. And what I would if I was coaching myself, I'd be like, dude, it's not time to put on your warrior energy. This is not warrior time. This is lover time. This is connecting. This is understanding, like a deep understanding. And that is a tool that I use often with guys, like, because a lot of the things that you and I have gone through are the same things that my clients go through. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, it is not time to win. This is not time to fix. This is time to step into that lover energy and connect with this woman who you love and just be present with her. And potentially because you're present, maybe you can access that place where you're like, this is interesting Mm -hmm. because a lot of it can be 
feel condescending. Yeah. Like when someone's like, okay, I'll listen to you as if like, you know, let me check this off my list. Well, and that's the magician, you know, to bring all four different archetypes in there. That's the magician. They're like, oh, I'm not really going to be present, but, but I'm, I'm going to, to say that I'm being right, present. And right. that's just your, that's your shadow magician talking. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. And that, and, and again, same on my side to not be like, oh, you should be deeper, like to have an understanding of like, this is a, a skill set that he has. He can do this and this. And, and I try, I do my best when you're putting yourself down for those, for things that you perceive as to be weaknesses that I try and flip it around and say, but these can be your strengths. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, that's what I think all people, women too, would like is to, is to have their ability to see all things, which can often look messy yeah. as being their skill. And, and recognizing how sometimes, you know, those of you listening, the way your house functions is because of those things that you do, but they kind of go unnoticed. They're the, it's interesting because Todd and I have, um, we're talking with Gemma tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gemma Hartley wrote this article about emotional labor about three or four months ago, and she's actually writing a book about it now, and we're talking with her tomorrow. But that's really what emotional labor is, is that like willingness to kind of put in the time to recognize things, see things, you know, negotiate things, handle things, and then on the very surface level, throw the, you know, not just fold the laundry, but put it away. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like finish the job. Yeah. You know, it's it's both sides. Yeah. Um, it's It's the literal and it's the emotional. And it's like that is to have a respect for that that is what makes life move along too, not just who's bringing in the money. Right. We, it's uh, being able to wit- you know, recognize both as valuable. Well, and for the guys, not for the guys, for the families where only one side is bringing in the paycheck and the other one is, is managing the, the household, mm-hmm. what's unfair is that we have something tangible, whether it's a deposit or a checking account or a paycheck that we get. Kathy's emotional, heavy, you know, obviously Kathy works and she does a lot of things, but where she is most valuable is when our daughters are struggling with something, that's when her A game shows up. But there's no paycheck at the end of that. You could say, oh, well, your kid is the paycheck or whatever. That is the representation of all your hard work, but it's it's harder to see it. It is. It, it's and and to Todd's point, it's not like I want a paycheck for it. It's just the unnoticed. It's like this. It's the un. It, a lot of things that as children grow up, and then you'll get feedback from other people like, oh, you know, your children are kind, or mm. your children seem to manage that well, or they they seem to have a maturity. Some of that is just because of that's who they are. They came into that world that way. It, but it a lot of it is this underlying constant connection where they feel valued and they know they belong. And it's daily moment to moment work that shows up later. And when they do show up later, let's just say all three of our kids turn out to be unbelievably mature, quote unquote, successful people. That's going to be theirs anyway. Right. So we're not going to be like, oh, Kathy, didn't you do a good job when <laughs> no. our kids were coming home from school no. and had a hard time with a friend? Like there's never there's never that. You never cross the finish line. No. And with a paycheck, there's like this mini finish line every two weeks. Like I worked, I got this back. And you don't get that. And this, and that's the perfect example of what I'm trying to give of what our our society values. Yes. We're always looking for the paycheck. And I am in no way looking for a paycheck, either metaphorically or literally. But what I'm doing, and, and you're doing a, you know, a lot of the time too, it's not 
recognized. It's not valued. It's not valued. It's not discussed as the difficult work that it is. It's not about the paycheck. It's about what does our society value? What does your miniature society in your household value? Correct. You know? What is valued? What is Mm -hmm. valued in your house? Mm -hmm. And if the only thing that's valued is, you know, a bank account... Of course, you're not going to pay any attention to the emotional well-being of ourselves or our kids. And so, you guys see how vast this is. How it can be as 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 basic as a conversation, and how we value someone's conversational style. Did you get to the point and end it, or are you kind of all over the place in a good way? Meaning that you have all these and and we value the get to the point and finish this. You know, (laughs) so I can go watch Netflix. So I can go finish what I'm doing. I want to get back on my phone and check my like we want it done. And you know, Todd, my funny thing that we always say to my girlfriend who tells long stories is you're always like land the plane like finish the story but many stories don't have a finish well especially when your daughters are coming home after a, a problem at school right it's and, complex and it's going to happen at 9 45 at night yeah. not at 3 45 when you have all this energy right. it's going to happen when they don't have any homework and their tv time is done and they've already read their book now they're ready to open up and us 45 46 year old people, our energy is depleted. Is depleted. Mm-hmm. And you who have an ability to rise up, not all the time, not all but the time. most times, like you'll stop what you're doing. Well, and can you create a situation in your home where to what Todd is saying is very true in our home. A lot of times our girls don't open up until night, but that's not always the case sure. because I'm with them from whatever time they get home till the end of the night in some capacity. Right. And sometimes we get in our good talks at dinner. We get sure. in our good talks in the car and we don't have to wait for that. Um, but again, like just bringing it like full circle, this is about conversations. This is about work. This is about equality. This is about how we respect each other, what we value in our society. And this is the bigger, you know, backup. And instead of just focusing on the leaf, focus on the whole tree. Mm-hmm. This is such a big thing. Or, and there, there's so many pieces. Or instead of the tree, the forest. Yes. Yeah, see all the trees. Yeah. But a lot of times we're just really focused on a leaf. Yeah. So even backing up and seeing the tree. Right is in itself a, you know, a, a, a huge revelation. Sure. And then you back up and see the whole forest, and then you get into the forest and look up into the sky and see all the stars, and you're like, whoa, okay, this is even bigger. Mm. And that's the thing, is we often just live our lives to just complete things, and that's not how we all work or process. Some of us are much slower, speaking from experience here, and that, you know, seeing those, those parts and that that is what will create... A more, you know, going back to Todd's first, the thing we were talking about moral, you know, having moral outrage and then doing something about it. We can only be peaceful in ourselves to create more peace if we recognize all the pieces that go into being peaceful. Yeah. How's that for a play on words? Wordplay. Wordplay. Um, so we have a Team Zen talk this uh, Friday. So if you're interested in uh, doing Team Zen, um, Go to our website, zenparentingradio.com, and find out more. We do uh, two Zen Talks a month, private Facebook page with resources, questions, and answers, uh, premium podcast, exclusive blog, and things like that. It's just a great virtual community. Here's the highlight from back, uh, good old number 13, which is a while ago, but we okay. talked about our four tendencies explained by, by Gretchen Rubin. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you've joined Team Zen, you get access to the entire back catalog. So it's kind of cool. Uh, how our tendencies explain how we are motivated. I don't remember talking about that, but whatever. How to understand or talk to a six-year-old who wants stuff. Mm-hmm. Anybody have six-year-olds that want stuff? <laughs> 
Um, how to talk to a partner who dismisses or doesn't understand self-help. I just talked to a guy about that last week, as a matter of fact. So anyways, so um, that's Team Zen. Um, I also have a men's group called The Tribe. Go to tribemensgroup.com. We have a chapter up in Wilmette. Uh, we've got a meeting next week, and then we have our regular tribe meeting here in Elmhurst uh, next week as well. And You've got two tribe meetings next week? Oh, yeah. You excited? Do you really? I do. Okay. What nights do you have tribe meetings? Monday, Wednesday. Okay. Um, and I'm teaching on Tuesday. Sweetie, okay. fill up that calendar. Yikes. Yikes. I just, I, Todd, Todd sees open space and he's like, ooh, good, I can do more stuff. Sweetie, I'm going to play a song for you. No. Do we have to always do stuff? I love doing stuff. I like to not do stuff all the time. Do you know what it is yet? No. Oh, Wide Open Spaces there you by go. Dixie Chicks. I need more of these. Do you? <laughs> of course. Sweetie, it's overrated. No, it's not. Who doesn't know what I'm talking about? Who doesn't know what I'm talking about? <laughs> who's never left home? Who's never struck out? Let's play it until the chorus. Sounds good. album yeah this is like 20 i think i was 27 when it yep. came out like when we first started dating so like this whole album yeah. i think a lot of people listening will agree was like it's such a moment in time in my life really oh my god yes dixie chicks especially that album so good and can i add something to that sure because it connects everything we're talking here is my friend annie just posted something yesterday um, about, or today, I can't remember, about daydreaming and how valuable daydreaming is. And mm. that daydreaming is not what we think it is. It's not like a lazy, like wandering off into space for no reason. Daydreaming is where creativity happens and imagination occurs and how we, and it's how we process and piece things together. And to, you know, Natalie Maine's point here about wide open spaces, I need them to piece my life together because I am seeing so many things at once that if there is no space then it becomes too chaotic. And so for you, when you see a space here, it, it sometimes can feel like, oh, there's, I can do more. And when I see a space, I'm like, thank God I can have, pro I can like daydream a little bit, right. but it, it's not what it looks like. It's not like I'm sitting in the chair, staring off into space. It's just room to breathe. Well, and I like to do stuff sometimes at the expense of being, mm -hmm. So that's when we check in with each other. Right. And we help each other. Because you need to do it. Like, you know, if you were sitting home, you'd be like, okay, are we done? <laughs> are I we do done that. daydreaming? Yeah. Right. So when that happens, like, you know, whatever. I, Saturday afternoon, you were out with Jess. Yeah. And I had nothing to do. And I could have daydreamed, but instead I went through a bunch of accounting stuff for Zen Parenting Radio. 
<laughs> which what's funny is this is the paradox because I'm thankful you did that because then I don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm like, oh, what a waste of time because it's not. But it's not how it's it isn't how I'd spend my time. And as long as we have a respect for each other's way, right. we're golden. Right. It's when it's you should be like me, I should be like you, or I don't understand why this is important or it's all, you know, a lot of times it's rarely our discussions with each other are about you need to change. Mm-hmm. It's about just see me. Sure. And if you see me and you there's space for me, we're good. Yeah. Um, our other partner is Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald headed beauty. Uh, he does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. You can reach him by going to avidco.net, A-V-I-D-C-O.net. Um, and that's kind of the end of my story, sweetie. Do you have anything else? No, that's good. You going to end with Dixie Chicks again? Oh, should I go back to her? That's such a great song. All right. Uh, Zen Talk Friday and April 26th is the 50-50 day. Yep. Please join us. Go to our website. Thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate you. Remember, you can subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you'll get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask Kathy and I questions live. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen Talks through the Team Zen Podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page. We have a book club and get discounts on everything that we have to offer. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. Guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? I have good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You choose. First session is free. And if you're in Chicagoland, contact me about the tribe. It's a men's group, and it's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by going through the Amazon link under Support Us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you a thing, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Finally, I want to give special thanks to our two foundation partners, the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thank you for your love and support, and keep on trucking.